like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. My brother's doing fast on my mother's TV. Says she watches too much, it's just not healthy. All my children in the daytime, Dallas at night. Can't even see the game or the Sugar Ray fight. The bill collectors... Hey gang, it's John. Thank you for listening to another episode of our book club series. This time we're welcoming author Shane Robitaille. And he wrote a very fun, really uh, coming-of-age little book called Rocket Crew, The Adventures of Teenage Hip-Hop Misfits. I really like this book. Um, the thing that it reminds me of a lot, and I mentioned it in here, it reminds me of, if you remember the movie Stand By Me, take that, but move it up into the 80s, also in the Northeast, but it's about a bunch of kind of outcast boys who really start to bond over their love of hip-hop. In the early days, when hip-hop was first starting to become a thing. Believe it or not, I was one of those kids too. Not so much in the early years, but around the late 80s, early 90s, that's all me and my friends listened to. And so, and I think all of us found or needed to find that tribe in our teenage years, the friends that really made us feel connected to something, put, validated our interests and our hobbies. And it's a book, it's a really small little book actually, you could read it in like a couple of hours. And, but it just perfectly illustrates what that chapter in all of our lives is like. I really like this book and I really enjoyed talking with Shane because he's a really great guy. And he came from, he had kind of a rough upbringing, but managed to come through it all with and, and make something of himself and gift us with this great book. Now, speaking of gifting, He's gonna, we're going to give away a copy at the end. I'll tell you more about it at the end, okay? But anyway, enjoy this conversation with Shane. He's a really good guy. And if you grew up feeling out like out of sorts or an outcast and uh, not sure where you fit in, this book depicts that so perfectly. Okay? Enjoy. Well, good. Okay. So, um... Shane, thank you first and foremost for chatting with me and for writing such a fun little book. I loved it. I have a lot of thoughts about it. I want to give you the the stage to talk about it. From one guy who loves music to another, the thing that I one of the things that I appreciated most about your book is just how much boy, when you're when you're a teenager, nothing is more important than the music you love and the friends that you have. And they usually go hand in hand. Often the friends you have are because of the music that you love. So tell me, tell me about your, give us a brief synopsis of the book and why you wrote it. Yeah. So um, back in 1984, you know, hip hop was making its, mostly making its debut to the world. It had been around New York City, uh, some argue since as early as 73 is the, I think technically the birth date of hip hop, but in 1984, still only a handful of albums and you couldn't hear it on the radio outside of New York City or major metropolitan areas. Uh, and then so if you were 100 miles away uh, and you had no money, you were pretty jonesing if you wanted to hear anything uh, in the hip hop universe. So this story is about uh, four 
uh, teenagers, they're best friends in the summer of 1984. And one of them gets an electric breakdance album for his birthday. That album was like a compilation album. It had songs like Jam on it, had a Grandmaster Flash song. I think it was White Lines. And that album, along with the uh, super large breakdancing poster, uh, changed the lives of these kids practically overnight. So practically overnight, they became so invested in hip hop in this new sound that they heard that it transformed them into kind of wannabe B-boys and then ultimately uh, freaks in their town, right? So they lived 100 miles away from New York City. The town really never heard of hip-hop before. And so the story, while while the story uh, has hip-hop as um, the backdrop, it's really about, like you said, it's that, it's a love letter to a time and place that's gone forever. It's it's that incredible, powerful elixir that you have mm-hmm. when you when you have best friends as teenagers mm-hmm. and you share this this common passion around music. Mm-hmm. You know, they become your crew, right? Yeah. So yeah. the more the town and the more the bullies pushed on these kids to walk and talk a certain way. And, 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 uh, you know, the more these best friends push back. So, you know, it's also a story about how difficult it is to, to find your identity when the world around you wants you to walk and talk like everybody else, you know? So true. So true to say that. Yeah. And when you have those kinds of friendships, it gets you through the hard times. Okay. Mm -hmm. It, it, it's, uh, it's unlike any other time in our lives, really. Yeah. It's such a special, special time. So I wrote the book as a love letter to that time and place. But also, um, it, it tells a very unique story about the beginning of hip-hop and that mm-hmm. culture, which isn't always talked about. Mm-hmm. Especially not, uh, I mean, especially not among, like, how it was affecting white suburban kids, you know, at the time. So, Let's establish something. It's the story, basically, of these four guys, these four boys, early teens. It reminded me a little bit of Stand By Me if it took place in the 80s and it was hip-hop that was bonding everyone together. Um, you, how much of it is true? I, I yeah, believe you question. changed the name. Uh, yeah. I think Jimmy, the character, is based on you. It is, yes. That's a great question. I was recently interviewed about this just this week. And the answer that I came up with um, was, I would say this is 85% right on the money, about 15% fiction. And what do I mean by that? I mean, think back to when you, well, think back to when you were a teenager, but think about last week. Mm -hmm. You ever go to bed at night and you say to yourself, especially when we were younger, we didn't have the confidence that we have maybe today. We didn't have the tenacity or drive necessarily. Think back about those moments when you were young and you say to yourself at the end of the day, I wish I had said this. You know, if only I had talked to her about that or if only had the guts to do this. But you don't. Most of the time we don't. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that 15 percent. Is how I wished it went. Mm -hmm. There are some things in the story that didn't happen exactly that way. But 
thinking back, it could have happened that way. And yeah. I wish it had happened that way. So when I was working with the publisher on this, they were a little confused with the first draft because they said, well, is this a memoir? And I said, no, it's a novel because I had to, I, I, I compressed three or four years worth of stuff into a summer. I took four or five towns and consolidated them into one town, you know? Um, yeah. So I'd say sense. it's an 85-15% split. Okay. One thing you touched on a second ago was the hard times, the difficult times of growing up. You you had a difficult time, a difficult childhood. I mean, you're a very accomplished person now, and we can get into your biography, but what were you what were you at the period that is depicted in this book? Tell us about your home life and your reality at that at that age. Yeah, so my reality at that age, um, you know, it was quite challenging. I always say I had an alternative youth. So by the time I was about 14 and a half, I started getting kicked out of the house uh, quite frequently. But at 14 and a half, you always have to come back home. Mm -hmm. uh, by the time I was 15, I was on my own uh, completely. And then I was uh, legally emancipated uh, around 16 years old. I went to four high schools. I stayed back a year because I went to three high schools in a year and a half. You know, I moved from town to town with a cardboard box. And in that cardboard box were my most precious belongings, a boom box, cassette tapes, <laughs> a handful of books, and my clothes. And that, and that cardboard box would turn into a nightstand wherever I was living. You know, I'd Within the foster over. care system, we should say, right? Well, actually, it wasn't a foster care system. I, okay. That is a bit of fiction. Um, okay. I was in and out of temporary foster homes as a kid, um, battered women's shelters, things like that. Um, but for simplicity, again, okay. novel. Got it. I'm, I'm using a foster home. Okay. So, you know, everybody has their challenges, certainly in life. And and as kids, um, but the thing that that kept me going, uh, moving forward, were my friends and music. Mm -hmm. It was that incredible uh, power that you have when you have strong friendships and you're glued together with with music. It's such a mm -hmm. special phenomena, you know. So true. Yeah. Um, what was the was that compilation album you mentioned a minute ago? Was that your first introduction? to hip hop. I remember mine. I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, I grew up Mormon. Not that that has anything to do with anything necessarily then. So I'm living in the Bay Area. One of my best friends is this guy named Scott St. Germain. He was originally from Boston and uh, he had moved to the Bay Area. We became best friends. And then he moved back to Massachusetts to a town called Rainham. Does that okay. ring a bell? Yeah, yeah I okay. think it's east of me. Okay. So uh, I went back to visit him once after he had moved away. I was probably 11 or 12 and he had a, he had the run DMC King of rock. Of tape. course. Yeah. And I had never heard of rap music or what it was. And he was like, Oh, this is great. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I even, I don't remember if I even listened to it, but just by looking at it, I thought, Oh boy. Things are things change when you move to Massachusetts. It's very different over here. You know, <laughs> yeah. California is very. It's my Mormon yeah. world in California is very different than 
what you're looking at here sure. in Massachusetts. Sure. So it was a little yeah. scary. And then when that video of Walk This Way came out, it was like, wow, there's the guys that Scott told yeah. me about a year ago or whatever. That was my first introduction to hip hop. Yeah, I mean that video in nineteen, I think it was eighty six. Yeah. I think it changed changed everything for everybody. It really did. Yeah. Culturally, that was like a tipping point. I mean, yeah. you know, this you know, the uh, the bullies and rocket crew are those hard rock kids, the kids that yes. wore the construction boots and the A C D C T shirts and and uh, you know, you you can't listen to Run DMC because you don't live in the city. You live here. You have to yeah. listen to what we listen to. You know, there was yep. this ginormous chasm between the rock crowd and the hip hop crowd. But it's so funny because at the end of the day, when you when you break it down, especially old school hip hop, they're singing about the same stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. all about the same stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, like I, there's a line in Rocket Crew where I said, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's about young people trying to make sense of the world around them. I totally. mean, that's what it totally. is. That's people are just afraid of what they don't understand. And if yeah. you're going to be if you're a white suburban kid in a jean jacket listening to Foreigner or something, then, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, not that there's anything you know, wrong with it. Grandmaster uh, Flash. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. I love that too. But Grandmaster yeah. Flash might be just a little too uncomfortable. That's, right. That's not too foreign. So to anybody me. you know who was in that old school hip hop scene, uh, who saw you know Aerosmith and Run DMC in that video, heard that song, mm -hmm. you know, we were all like, yeah, okay, so what? All right? We already knew that. Um, but that's what made everybody else wake up and everything changed. Yeah. 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 Were you, uh, we were talking about this before we started recording, really. I, I was like in high school, I was really into hip hop too, especially, well, I still, I, I'll, I'll have to get your opinion. Chuck D to me is the greatest MC of all time. I'm with you. I, I nothing but respect to Chuck D 24 yes. seven. Yes. hundred percent. And even the things that he did after and the things that he's doing now, he's, 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 he's like an evangelist for everything. That's great. Yes. You know? Yep. Yeah. He is. He's my favorite. And, uh, and the, the hip hop there of the, that golden age of the late eighties with anything, basically the Prince Paul touched like the debut De La Soul album uh. or, um, you know, um, what am I trying to, uh, even like Bismarcky or digital, uh, underground or so back when it was fun and it seemed the focus seemed to be on creativity once it got too deep into like um gangster rap which some of that even like early nwa had its you know its value too but eventually it just it, i felt like it all the creativity became subsumed with this hardcore street life yeah. uh story that overwhelmed anyone's anyone else's creativity one of my you might laugh at me but one of my favorite bands or groups of all time is uh pm dawn and oh, i love yeah. them oh my god i love them because they were different and because like they were all i mean yes yeah. Those are two, you know they did something different and yet you know they weren't they were never accepted because they weren't part of this you know hardcore thug life and i thought they don't all have to be the same you know yeah yeah i I, I don't, you know, I'm not sure if this is accurate, but my sense on some of this is, is that, you know, like most things, most things get exploited eventually, yeah, either yeah. corporate America or whatever, but like, 
my sense is, you know, there weren't that many people helping LL Cool J write those songs. Yeah. You know, and and I heard, you know, recently that like you know, now you have these teams of songwriters, you know, there are five, six, ten, you know, these mm -hmm. corporate songwriters that are working with the artists, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly, but I think that's one of the things that happened that felt very different. You yeah. know, it did it wasn't it wasn't necessarily as as personal or intimate. Yeah. as it once was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going back to Chuck D. That's one of the things that's why I think I respect him so much. He's been, it's, he calls or somebody called his uh, public enemies music, black CNN. And I felt more like he was reporting on the injustices of racism and economic inequality and whatever more than gangster rap seemed to be reporting on it, but also glorifying it. And to me, there was a difference. Yeah, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, Chuck I mean, wanted us to be smarter and better and easy. E wanted to live in it. Didn't want, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Anyway, and I love easy E too, but you know what I'm saying? I do. And, and you know, it's funny. Uh, so I've got a copy of Chuck D's book on my shelf for just, just right over here. And um, it, it's, if, if I could have one conversation with him, Part of it would be why isn't it on Audible? <laughs> oh. Get that thing on Audible. Like yes. let's let's bring it back. It's just as relevant, if not more, yes. now than it was yeah. years ago when he wrote it. Like yeah. everything that he was talking about, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, um, the book goes into three of your best friends. The Rocket Crew are basically you and John and Greg and Steve. I don't know if anyone's name has been changed or whatever, like yours, but you fall in love with each one of these guys for different reasons. I don't know how much you want to talk about them or where they, you know, what became of all of them. Some of that you might want to say for the book, it's up to you. Yep. But um, these are the guys that made up the rocket crew in the eighties that you guys were that, you know, breathes life into this wonderful story. Tell me about, were there situations similar to yours in terms of like broken families, lower yeah. socioeconomic backgrounds? I'd say everybody was certainly on the lower end of the uh, economic scale. That's for sure. Um, but everybody had their own unique stories. You know, yeah. um, you know, John came from a very large family, lots of siblings, step siblings, um, and, and they're quite poor. You know, Greg, uh, you know, he lived in a small apartment, you know, parents worked hard, uh, you know, Steve, single mom, you know, they all had that that in common. We are still in touch. Uh, actually, I'm in touch with uh, Greg. Um, I'm not in touch with Steve. Uh, he sort of went AWOL a long time ago. Uh, I can tell you a quick story about Greg. Yeah, so, please. So... I never thought about writing Rocket Crew until about 12 years ago. I left the Rocket Crew back in like 87, 88. Things were changing. We were getting older. Mm -hmm. And it was a tough decision, but I, I left the crew. And they didn't like it too much. Mm. Um, not to give away too much. but um, yeah. So fast forward to 2010 in Facebook, and I get this message request. And it's from Greg. And I've always wondered what happened with these guys. And I, you know, and part of me, a small part of me always felt a little 
um, guilty um, mm -hmm. moving on back in the day when I was like 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. So we start chatting and uh, he invites me to dinner. And uh, I get out there and of course I hadn't seen him since like 87, 88. Mm -hmm. And I didn't recognize him because the last time I saw him, he was a skinny kid, uh, you know, and now he's, he's like, you. Yeah, he's a really tall guy and, <laughs> and uh, he's a really big dude and like this big beard. And I'm like, who is this guy? And he's like, dude, you haven't changed much. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyway, um, at dinner, you know, he, he tells me about what was going on with his life and he had a lot of challenges. And, um, one of the things he told me was when he was feeling really low and, and down and out, he thought about our childhood and that made him smile and it gave him uh, um, some newfound energy, you know, to, to, to persevere and push through. And that's why he reached out to me on Facebook. So, you know, we're chatting and catching up and everything else. And then I'm about to leave. It's like midnight. And he says, oh, my God, you can't go anywhere. Hold on one second. And he, he leaves the room and he comes back and he's holding a cassette tape. Mm -hmm. And he says, do you know what this is? And I said, no, what, what is it? And he says, you don't remember. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. That, that isn't what I think it is. So what had happened was, um, well, actually, you know, this is in the book. Um, at one point, we, the whole crew sat down on the floor of Steve's bedroom with a boom box and a blank cassette. And we recorded what was called the 20-year tape. Mm -hmm. And we talked about what life was like in 1986 who was going to marry you know madonna first <laughs> um, we talked about but then we also talked about what we thought life would be like in 20 years when we were in our late 30s mm -hmm. which seemed like you know some ancient uh sort of age and then we made a pact to get together in 2006 which would have been 20 years and listen to the tape we made copies of the tape for everybody mm -hmm. wrapped them up sealed them with a note don't listen until 2006 wow so he busted out that tape i didn't have mine anymore because i moved so much when i was a kid um it just got misplaced or something i don't i don't know what happened so i said yeah let's listen to it you know and we laughed and we cried and we laughed and we cried and we laughed and we cried and, and it occurred to me that night that what we had might have been special, might have been unique. We all have these goofy stories, fun stories when we were kids. Yeah. But it didn't occur to me until that night, especially as a writer, that maybe we did have something unique. When you combine the time and the place and the very beginning of hip hop and being enamored with this, this emerging cultural phenomena, you know, yeah. that was happening. So I kicked that around for a few years. I didn't really do much with it uh, until like 2019, you know, when I started taking it seriously and, and Rocket Crew became my first novel. Wow. Do you, um, how did you make it out so successfully, do you think? What do you attribute that to? Uh, uh, maybe a few things. Uh, first, friendship. Uh -huh. These kids and others were my family. 
They yeah. were the ones that I could count on and lean on. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember I, you know, I slept in a laundromat one night because my best friend wasn't around. You know, yeah. that was the alternative sometimes. Yeah. So first and foremost, at that that age between 14 and, and 17 and 18, which doesn't seem like a long time, but when you're in it. Those are the formative years. Those yeah. are the formative years. So um, friendship, obviously music as an inspiration. Mm-hmm. Always had the Walkman on constantly. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the third is... Uh, you know, getting really lucky by meeting a few adults that I didn't want to let down. Oh, perfectly said. That's that it, is Shane. so important. And I, yes. I do public speaking and I, I write about this topic. I'm a champion for, for youth and it, it, it makes such a difference when a young person has a few people in their life that they don't want to let down. That can be the difference between you know, stepping on the line and crossing the line. Beautifully said. And if yes. you do cross the line, you jump back over it quickly, you know, mm-hmm. because you don't want to let somebody down. Pe- kids that don't have that, it's a whole different universe. Yeah. You know? So I was lucky. I, uh, I'll tell you real quick. So I, met, I had this girlfriend in my fourth high school, and I was on the verge of dropping out because I was working full time, paying room and board. And school just wasn't a priority. I was passing. I was getting okay grades, but it was just a hassle. Mm-hmm. And, and I had a big chip on my shoulder. I didn't trust anybody o- older than, you know, 25. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said to me, hey, Shane, have you ever heard of James Dean, the actor? I'm like, <laughs> yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, she's like, well, you know, he used to talk about this thing called method acting and, and this idea that you you really get into the character and, and uh, you kind of live the character while you're playing them on screen or on a stage or whatever. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? She's like, well, you're always <laughs> saying that you um, you have a hard time communicating to adults and, and, and getting your thoughts across effectively and on and on. She says, next time you're in that situation, picture yourself on a stage. You're in a play and you're just you're acting. Right. So picture what the actor would do in mm-hmm. that situation and then just act it out. Mm-hmm. So check yourself first before you say anything and think about how you would want to see this on the stage. How would the following scene yeah. play out? And I know it sounds a little, maybe a little complicated or no. unusual, but that kind of friendship, like with that kind of advice at that age is a big deal. Yes, it is. So I started yes, checking my attitude at the door and I mm-hmm. started thinking about, well, how would I want to see this, this play out? But, you know, that's just one little example, but I think it's definitely uh, friendship got me through all that. Uh, music got me through that. And, uh, and, and again, meeting a few adults that I really didn't want to let down. I love that. <clears throat> I love, and I've never heard it put that way, but as soon as you said that, it felt so true. And I can think of all the adults in my life who were those, you know, benchmarks for me as well. Now you're talking about the stage. Is that real? You've alluded in some of our messaging to each other that there might be a future for this book. Oh yeah. So yeah. So Rocky crew was the paperback was published in 
the early days of COVID, uh, so uh, March 2020. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Audible audiobook came out uh, that summer. Um, since that time, I've been feverishly uh, working to adapt it to a feature film because one of the most um, common feedback that I hear from readers and listeners is, oh, this should be a movie. I can it absolutely it. should. It's so cinematic. Yeah, yeah. And when I wrote it, um, when I wrote the novel, I tried to write it through a director's lens. It's just because mm-hmm. I'm a visual person. When I wrote mm-hmm. it, I wasn't thinking, oh, maybe this could be a movie one day. Mm-hmm. But it's just how I like to look at things. Mm-hmm. So since then, um, I recently completed a um, spec screenplay, full-blown, complete uh, pitch deck. And um, I'm working to try to get it to see the light of day. Oh, uh, yeah. our series it would just be amazing and and yes. uh you know the thing that motivates me to do it because it's really really difficult it's like it's it's so challenging to get to, to get something like that off the ground especially right. when you're an outsider and you're not on the scene and you don't do it full time mm-hmm. the thing that keeps me moving forward is the um is the opportunity to inspire um, multiple generations. That's it. You know, I, I heard from this, 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 um, audible listener, this woman, uh, reached out to me on Twitter and she told me that she had a really stressful job and she's, you know, Gen Xer, you know, she was around back in the day mm-hmm. and, uh, she said, she says, you're going to laugh, but a few days a week, I go out into my car by myself at lunchtime and I put on the book mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm hanging out with these guys in, in the summer of 1984. She says it's like comfort food for me, you know? Um, and I like hearing that that's exactly what I was striving for. I wanted, even if you weren't into the hip hop scene back then, if you were into goth or if you were into heavy metal, but, but Mm -hmm. most people weren't, whatever your scene was, Mm -hmm probably had your own rocket crew yes you know absolutely you had to defend what you loved and 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 yeah. push back on, on people that didn't get it you know yeah we all had our tribes in our teens and whatever brought us together maybe you like working on cars maybe you were into dungeons and dragons That's right you know <clears throat> whatever it might be maybe you were gay maybe you who yeah. knows you're into skateboarding whatever it might be we all had our tribes as teenagers and that's what solidifies these relationships which you illustrate perfectly in the book so let's talk about music for a minute what is your favorite hip-hop song man you know i was thinking about this earlier i was like oh if he asked me this i thought you might ask me something like that um at the at the risk of sounding uh pedestrian Uh and uh cliche you know, it, it might be Rockbox by Run DMC. Ah, uh, good one. This might okay. be because, I mean, it's impossible to choose just one, but that one—that's one of the the premier um, songs of the day. Yeah. That it it did it had everything in it, right? It was yeah. um, it told the story. It was it was loud. It it was new. It was innovative. You know, it was rock. It was hip hop. You know, rap and and um, 
I definitely say Rockbox by Run DMC. I'd say the 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 first song that that woke us up as uh, teenagers and illuminated this entire world to us was definitely the message by yeah. uh, Grandmaster Five, as it was for so many people. Yeah, that'll do it. That was that's the one. Yep, I agree. I uh, I, I hate to go back to the same well, but um, I think "Fight the Power" is still my favorite hip hop song. Uh, oh. Yeah, I, I listen to it probably five times a week still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Fear of a Black Planet is probably my favorite hip-hop album yeah. still. Three Feet High and Rising is also up there. Um, I do love the Beastie Boys for oh, like same. most you know white suburban kids did. Uh, one thing I want to ask you, too, and when I'm reading the book and I'm envisioning you guys, is it right to envision I – mean, first of all, you're a bunch of white kids holding – do we, I guess we don't call them ghetto blasters anymore, but you know what I'm saying? One of those giant boom boxes up on your shoulder. And I'm, I'm imagining parachute pants. Our style was a little funky because, you know, A, we didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, B, we were far away from any place that sold anything remotely cool. Okay. So, as I say in, in, in the Rocket Crew book, uh, our style was really an emerging style and we were trying to figure it out. You remember pre-internet right so our only sources for anything hip-hop were uh you had beat street the movie which was yes ginormously yes uh, impactful and influential and you had break in the movie yes uh, and then you know maybe magazines or something but that's yeah. it you didn't know what anybody looked like you know yeah. so we as they say in the book we had more of like a punk meets okay kind of style you know we're wearing doc martin's but we have parachute pants, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, we have, uh, you know, maybe a run DMT, uh, run DMC t-shirt, uh -huh. uh, with, uh, you know, a baseball cap or yeah. you know, eventually we ended up getting Kangles and, and other uh, things. So we were uh, fashion yes. wise. We were, we were a total mess, you know, yeah. there was no consistency and that's okay because you know what, when you look, when you think back, uh, about the early days of hip hop, there was no, no uniformity, you know, no. there was no, wasn't it. So run DMC started talking about their Adidas mm -hmm. that you really started um, seeing some kind of like standard theme or, or yeah. consistency with, with that style and, you know, the gold chains and, and all that stuff. But early eighties, mm -hmm. mid eighties, yeah. it was still all sorting itself out. Were you guys break dancers? Cause I'm out. I'm also imagining with the boombox, you're carrying around some cardboard just in case you got to lay it down <laughs> and start breakdancing everybody once in a while. Yeah, we definitely were. And we certainly tried uh, really hard. I'm, I'm not sure how terrific we were. Uh, we had our moments, but, uh -huh. um, and I certainly wasn't one of the best uh, dancers, but we definitely did it. And um, yeah, I mean, one of the best parts about breakdancing back in the day wasn't even the breakdancing part. It was decorating the cardboard. That was the, <laughs> that was the bomb right there, right? That was that was the opportunity uh, yeah. because if you didn't really want to break dance, uh -huh. you could spend hours and hours and hours just painting the cardboard. You yes. know, like that was <laughs> or finding cardboard. You know, like we're going on a quest for yeah. big cardboard boxes. You know, so yeah. yeah, we certainly tried hard. I'm not sure how successful we were. That's great. That's great. Now. Okay, this might be kind of a weird question, but 
I mean, everybody in the book is white. And I wonder if there was a faction of kids in your school or that you knew who were a bunch of black kids. And yeah. did, if so, did the two of you, was there conflict or was there, did you, was there friendship there? Yeah, there actually, there, there really wasn't. Uh, huh. not, not in that suburban town. Uh, okay. back then. There, there really wasn't. Yeah. Um, you know, so um, the only time, you know, we ever encountered other B-boys and B-girls were, were when we traveled distances. So if we traveled south to Hartford, you know, um, if we went to New York, um, one time we went to Detroit. Um, but for the most part, I mean, yeah, there, it was it wasn't a very diverse town at all, which created some of the conflict and and uh, misunderstandings. Mm. You know, back then, especially, um, you know, hip hop wasn't associated uh, with good things necessarily. Right. Mm. People had these stereotypes and uh, but, you know, it used to drive us crazy and it still does today. Mm-hmm. When you hear that music, you hear those songs they were singing about, they were rapping about things that were important that mattered yes some of it was party stuff Mm -hmm. but you know you listen to a song like it's like that or Mm -hmm. the message and we can go on and on Mm -hmm. they were talking about important things they were that that mattered and you know with the exception of maybe punk and you know not a lot of musicians were doing that back then so this stereotype of what hip hop was, was a total contrast to what it really was. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so Agreed. yeah, we, we were kind of on our own and on an Island. Interesting. Well, I, uh, I love the description of it all in the book. I, uh, as I've said, it's very cinematic. Um, it feels like a movie that you can easily see in your head as you're reading it of you and your best buddies fighting bullies, um, dealing with the ups and downs, broken families, finding each other, bonding with each other over hip hop or whatever, being outcasts, misfits. Um, It's just a beautifully told story and it's beautifully put together. One last thing, this is unrelated to the book, but you sent me a link of you addressing the UN. I want to give you some props for this. What is that? Why did you do this? Yeah, so I, I appreciate that. So I was recently asked um, to be a guest speaker for the United Nations 67th International Women's Conference. And the topic they wanted me to speak about was um, how to increase the number of women in tech. Um, so I'm very fortunate that I've, I've had the opportunity to work in that space in the last 10 years. So while I'm a writer, I also work in corporate America and I focus on helping them build next generation talent. That is something that's near and dear to me. I have a soft spot, especially for uh, young people who are outliers, uh, less privileged, uh, are on the outside looking in, you know, um, support everybody. But that's, you know, that demographic is, um, you know, is, is what I love um, to focus on when I can. So when I had the chance to address this, this forum, I mean, obviously I, I took it and I took it very seriously. I only had 10 minutes, but I stole an extra two. So I ended up with 12, I think. And what I did was, you know, I, I, I split the speech in, into thirds. First part is talking about a lot of corporate stuff. 
you know, strategies for doing this. The second part of the speech was um, testimonials from former yep. interns that I've had who saw success at a very young age and now are, you know, making amazing things happen in the world. And then the third part of the speech was an original poem of mine called Her Lucky Day. And it's about this young woman who, who meets herself 50 years older. And the old woman isn't very happy with yeah. what she's doing. So, yeah, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It, it was just terrific. and um, It was really yeah. inspiring. It really was. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> the testimonial part, when you're – if it, and it, I, I can't remember if you said this or I thought it. I don't remember. But a lot of the girls whose testimonials you were reading, I think, might have been minorities. And they were – and just to hear what having a successful internship did to their prospects – in tech or whatever because i'm in tech too i work for a software company and thankfully it's getting better there are more almost yeah. half my team actually is female at this at this point and um i don't i can't speak to like software developers or coders or whatever even though that's starting to get better too it was just inspiring to see the work that you've done to empower these women in this industry pay off in this way. And I wanted to give you kudos to that. Oh, I, I appreciate that. You know, uh, was it Hillary Clinton that said it takes a village? It really does. It, it really does. All of us. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And you know, it's so important that uh, people never forget where they came from. Mm -hmm. um, I, I heard this quote and I can't do it justice, but I heard this quote recently, something about like you, you, some people try to, you know, hide from their past. And admittedly I did that. You know, mm -hmm. when I was in my early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, I just wanted to blend in and tell anybody about my story. You know, it wasn't that important, et cetera. Um, but what I found is in my career, the more I leaned into what made me unique, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, the more authentic I was, you know, um, the better off everybody was, you know, yeah. so I'm better able to do my job by keeping it real yes. and remembering uh where i came from you know and trying to pay it forward perfectly said well shane thanks for chatting with me and i hope that we've you know uh provoked or compelled a few people out there to check out the book it's a really yeah. easy read for anyone who doesn't know it's short i read it in like a couple of hours and um and uh but it's just a beautiful heartwarming endearing little depiction of uh of life as a teenager in the 80s when you and your friends are probably misfits. That's what it yeah. felt like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Glad you enjoyed the book and I, I appreciate did. the conversation. It means well, a lot. It, me it meant a lot to me. Thanks for sending it to me. Thanks for, I still, I, I kept the packaging because it was so cool looking the way all your artwork on there. All right, there you have it. Shane Robitaille. I love that. And it, again, the book is called Rocket Crew and it's just so wonderful. Now, what Shane has uh, offered to do is we're going to give away a copy to a Patreon supporter, and he's going to mail it to you. And I mentioned in here, I think I did anyway, he sent the copy he sent me, he does all this really great, elaborate, almost graffiti art on the packaging, and I still have the package that the book came in next to my bed because I thought it was so cool that that's what this came in. So he's going to, he has promised to mail a copy to a Patreon supporter who is interested in winning the book, okay? So if, I assume everyone who wants to be on Patreon is, if you're not, uh, sign up real quick. We'll pull a winner this weekend. 
and uh, he will mail you the book directly. It's just so great. It's, uh, I think we all can relate to this kind of thing. For some, it's hip-hop. For others, it's something completely different, but we can all relate. Okay, I think this is going to be the last book club we do for a while. Um, I don't have anything on tap. As I mentioned, we don't have any other bonus material coming up this month. There might be a recap or a, uh, a panel or something like that. But in general, we're giving the month off to Yan. I don't want to burden other producers with it. And uh, so I don't know. We'll think. We'll have a rethink. But anyway, this is probably going to be the last book club for a little while. And I'm glad we went out with Shane because he was wonderful. All right. Thanks, folks. We will talk to you soon. We got all